When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. all right yes the premier league is back and we are of course here on the sports social podcast network celebrating that fact the what if football podcast continues its dedication to the month of august to the return of the premier league with another season review of years gone by not his nostalgia indeed this is the 2003 four season of the premier league let us get stuck in Yes, every Wednesday up until Christmas, we'll be here with an episode of the What If Football Podcast. Be it Naughty's Nostalgia, be it a season review of either the Premier League or the Champions League when that returns with Le Grand as it keeps. But more on that much later in the coming days. If you like podcasts like these, why not subscribe to our Patreon page? It is £1 a month. You get two podcasts a week, a mailbag of your alternate football universes and articles about football, contemporary or nostalgic, as this is the case here today. So 2003-4 season of the Premier League and with every episode of the Barclays on the What If Football podcast, we start from the bottom top. So we will... Start with Wolves. They were back in the big time for the first time since 1984. They had quite a shocking start to the season. But then again, they did have injuries. They did have uh, reason for this. The likes of Matt Murray, the goalkeeper, Julian Lescott as well, let's not forget. And Kenny Miller, pretty much the spine of the team was gone for long swathes of the season. There were moments in this campaign to be celebrant of, if you are, that of a Wolves persuasion, not only for the iconic Doritos kit, but for uh, one of the greatest comebacks of all time, in the Premier League at least, um, a 3-0 deficit clawed back against Leicester. And whilst Leicester might not have been the greatest team in this Premier League season, often forgotten, I think, or at least to my mind anyway, that they were even in this Premier League season sometimes. But a 4-3 win 
certainly uh, something to celebrate after a 3-0 deficit. There were wins over Leeds, big club despite their own travails like Leicester this season. And, of course, over Manchester United. More on that one later. But Wolves were rooted to the bottom all season and in conceding 75 goals, you can't really expect to stay up. So it was more of a case of going straight down for Wolves and you see more and more as we go through these seasons, there is always one team that is um, who gets promoted, at least, that's uh, on their way straight back down. It is usually, almost usually the case. And there's always a well-telegraphed exit, which I guess this time we can signpost for Leeds, which joins that illustrious list, which I'm sure we'll uh, get into in a minute. So Wolves, they scored 38 goals, one per game, roughly the same as they've averaged in the past two seasons in real life right now. So it is goes to show that the uh, the rate of their concessions is going to uh, put a factor in their immediate relegation back to the uh, the second tier. But in thir- gained 33 points like the other two teams that were relegated, despite being pretty much bottom the entire season. Um, they didn't perform as the uh, the 20th place of recent seasons. See, Leicester in 2002 did quite poorly, sub-30 points. Um, Sunderland in 2003 and West Brom, to be fair, in 19th, both got sub-30 points and uh, performed infinitely worse than this Wolves team. But it is the season you are born into, and 33 points is relegation form regardless. It's below that point-per-game threshold just as Leeds, just as Leicester City achieved this season and therefore you're going to go down unfortunately. And um, yes, the well-signposted relegation of the 2003-04 season is Leeds. Now we've discussed this plenty of times upon this return of this podcast. We had Wimbledon in 2000, we've had Bradford 2001, Derby 2002, Sunderland of 2003 and this was Leeds' turn in all honesty Um, and it's because they were hemorrhaging money, hemorrhaging players. Peter Reid became and Eddie Gray in terms of managing the dugouts. They lost yet more key players with Olivia Decor, Harry Kewell and Nigel Martin all gone this season. Mark Viduka and Alan Smith would stay till the bitter end, but they too would be gone, understandably, with the, uh, the failure to stay up. After the loss against Liverpool in October, it was a a run which saw them lose five on the bounce, drift into that relegation zone for the first time in the Premier League. And it was a relegation zone that they couldn't come out of, really. Form after Christmas saw another six losses on the spin and it was pretty much all but over then. They were just treading water. Um, With the state that the club was in, it was a miracle that they didn't finish bottom, that they did achieve 33 points at least. Um, who knows when they will be back? Of course, we do here in uh, here in August 2022. But uh, it was uh, quite some way back for the Leeds fans, and I'm sure we'll cover it in the uh, the coming years on this podcast. Anyway, Leicester City they were straight back up after well, we've previously mentioned a very poor 2001-2 season. Mickey Adams was the manager when they went down, albeit for the final four games, which he. He hadn't been defeated as Leicester City manager in the Premier League, but then again, it was only four four matches. So he he took over a doomed Leicester in 2002. He dragged them straight back up and um, they were freshly taken over, briefly in receivership in the the Football League. But 
it didn't stop them getting promoted. It also didn't help them get out in terms of the takeover, help them get out of the relegation zone and stay up. The likes of Les Ferdinand and Paul Dickoff got 23 goals between them in the league. In terms of goals from elsewhere, not a lot else, in fairness. There was one win before November's bright spot of 10 points from an available 12, and then no win until until March, and that's essentially the form that ends you up in the quagmire that Leicester ended up in, the form that gets you relegated. And relegation was sealed on the penultimate day with a 2-2 draw at Charlton. Although they did have one final flurry on the final day at Highbury, attempting to scare Arsenal. And um, more on that one. More on that one uh, later on. We go to safety, but in terms of yo-yoing clubs, we've spoken of West Brom last week, if you tuned into the Barclays episode last week. They would be about to yo-yo, but I don't think there's ever been a club, in the Premier League at least, that have ever yo-yoed without actually going down, quite like this era of Everton. So David Moyes took over the the club and steered them to 16th place. His first full season, they came 7th, and in this season, they finished 17th. So that is very, very big yo-yo in a very... Strong string on that yo-yo. And in fairness, gaining 39 points from this season. Shocking form, really. For a club like Everton, that is just above that one point per game threshold that I would deem you to be safe. Although in the 2002-03 season, the prior year, that would have had Everton relegated. As we mentioned last week, Wayne Rooney made his debut and lit up the club and he was a rare shining light for them. This season amidst the likes of Thomas Radinsky, etc. Wins were few and far between, of course, with 39 points. They did have to rely on fairly streaky form, a bit like Everton in 2022 last season. And uh, that form came around Christmas and then around February, March time. They ended the season by losing four on the spin. But in fairness, despite only the six-point gap to the relegation zone and just the one-place gap, they didn't truly come close to going down. Neither too did Manchester City, 16th place, which like Everton was a harsh come down from the uh, the greatness of the prior season. This was Man City's second season, the tough second season, as we've been discussing with the likes of Ipswich and maybe they would be on their way like Sunderland, who had a pretty difficult third season in finishing 17th and then went down in 2003. Perhaps Manchester City are about to do that. Regardless, Kevin Keegan's aim for his club in the second season back was European football, but unfortunately, that is not how life works in the Premier League. The second season is always the hardest. See Ipswich in 2002 for that one, Sheffield United in 2002 as well, going down as one of the worst teams in Premier League history. And um, in terms of Manchester City, their best moment of the season was uh, an FA Cup comeback in the fourth round against Spurs. Um, Unfortunately for them, at least, they would get knocked out on Valentine's Day in the fifth round by Manchester United, which featured a Gary Neville headbutt and me in the uh, Stretford end for that one, <laughs> regardless. What a game of football. This team, as opposed to the vintage of Manchester City that would immediately come after it, knew how to find the net. And 55 goals from 16th place is fairly impressive. You do see some teams qualifying for Europe, maybe even Champions League with that sort of goal return. And 16th place is very impressive, but it does speak to a a complete lack of defensive responsibility. And I guess that is 
a Kevin Keegan team all over. Fairly entertaining, but ultimately not reaching targets, not being as successful as they perhaps might have been. And with that, we go to the mid-table section of the podcast. Blackburn Rovers in 15th place. Bit of a blip, really, under Graham Souness in the middle of what would be, what has been some great years, the League Cup triumph in 2002, and then a return to form after this, but it would be under new management, of course. More on that in the coming weeks. Tottenham Hotspur were propping up the lower reaches of the mid-table, really. Glenn Hoddle was sacked early on. David Pleat steers them into mid-table obscurity and he would be uh, only on until the end of the season. So we'll have to find out next time on the Barclays who will take over Tottenham and potentially steer them into uh, a purple patch, maybe. Maybe the top half, who knows. And we have some relative newcomers at 14th. Portsmouth, not bad for a for a first season back in the big time. Yakubu is on fire, a bit of late season form, and they are one of just two clubs that Arsenal couldn't beat all season, so there's a feather in the cap, as they say. And so too for Middlesbrough and a League Cup win for the Borough. A bit patchy form, mid-table comfort, the type of uh, typical Middlesbrough form that we would come to expect. But with that League Cup win over Bolton, they would be well in the race for European football next year. Southampton, bit of a dip. Strachan became... Um, Paul Sturrock in March, but regardless, regardless of that, quite the come down for a club who were top half and FA Cup final hunting. Regardless, James Beattie on fire as always, maybe having to find a, a club on a more upward tra- trajectory next season. Now we spoke of Birmingham and Fulham perhaps springboard into the top half and both managed it. Birmingham, great second season back. No sign of second season fatigue, second season syndrome there. Terrific start to the season and to 2004. Could have arguably got into Europe and um, ran Aston Villa quite close for a spot um, in Europe and higher than them. In terms of Fulham, it looked like it could have been Europe for a long time for them, but like, like the Blues, they tailed off quite the same. And it would be up to the remainder of the mid-table to uh, fight more for those... Uh, for those European places and the top eight this time we will cover after this short, short break. Welcome back. Now the, well, let's have a run through of the, the European competition qualification rules of this time. So as we know, we are in a firmly in the era of the top four get Champions League football, which was perhaps a consequence of the, now illustrious big four, which we will see going forward in this podcast. But then we have fifth place qualify for the UEFA Cup. The League Cup winners qualify for the UEFA Cup. The FA Cup winners qualify for the UEFA Cup. And if there's any, if England top the fair play charts, then uh, whoever's top of that from a Premier League persuasion goes into the uh, the European competitions too. But let's ignore that last rule for, for the time being. So we had... Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Fifth place guaranteed. 
European football. That's all, always how it's going to be. The the lowest, the highest ranked team not in the Champions League qualifies for the UEFA Cup. Usually, with the League Cup, with the FA Cup, those are usually won by the teams in the top five. So therefore, if you are sixth, if you are seventh, you've got a pretty good chance, you're pretty safe in the knowledge that you are going to get a Champions or a European Cup. So I'll try that one again, a UEFA Cup spot. But here, the way the cup competitions went with Middlesbrough playing Bolton and both teams finishing outside the top five playing in the league cup final. Then we were guaranteed to have it have seventh, not qualify for Europe. And with Bolton not winning that, they make sure that they don't qualify for Europe because they finish outside those places. Allardyce, as we mentioned last time out, last two times out, in fact, taking them places with JJ Kotcher and you got Kevin Davis, Kevin Nolan, a superb spine to that team with a little bit of flair for running for good measure. So it meant that uh, Charlton too, despite their best finish since 1953, despite the signs of Paolo Di Canio, Carlton Cole, Matty Holland, all paying off, despite a great season under Alan Kerbishley, they're not qualified for Europe too. So then Aston Villa were sweating on the... Uh, the result of the FA Cup semi-finals, essentially, because they're in the uh, sixth position. So it comes down to the FA Cup. And back then, if you were in the FA Cup final, and if you won the FA Cup, you'd be automatically qualified for Europe. But if you were in the top five, or in a place already qualified for Europe, so say if Middlesbrough won the FA Cup, finished sixth, it wouldn't go down to seventh as it does now. It would be the runners-up of the FA Cup qualify for Europe. And the runners-up of the FA Cup in 2004 were, of course, Millwall. So Millwall, of course, not part of this review because, well, they're in the championship or the championship as it would be known the following season, 2004-05. They qualify for Europe instead. So Aston Villa somehow, unfortunately, miss out on Europe in sixth place. Some they had had a come down the previous season, but this had been a return to form under David O'Leary. Juan Pablo Angel had his best season yet in his third or fourth term, I think. And uh, Gareth Barry and Darius Vassell probably playing their best football at Villa Park under O'Leary. And perhaps a return to form full stop and they could maybe fill the void left behind by a Leeds United, who of course are in the Football League as of the following season and potentially could trouble... A UEFA Cup spot certainly next season under um, with a, with a bit more luck in terms of who would win the cup competitions, which is of course outside of their own matches, out of their control. So we get to fifth place and fourth place, really inextricably linked in this season, as it was the prior season with Liverpool and Chelsea fighting on the final day for the final spot in the Champions League. Pretty much a poor sequel to that £20 million match was played out in this season when Newcastle and Liverpool met on the final day at Anfield for that final spot. At Newcastle's season, though, it can be simply boiled down to far too many nil-nils, a ridiculous amount of draws in total in this season. Drew nil-nil with Bolton, Charlton, Arsenal and Aston Villa and Manchester United, and I had the misfortune of watching that nil-nil at Old Trafford January Newcastle probably should have won that match in fairness, if I can remember it correctly, but um, quite a dire. One of the worst games I've had the misfortune of watching in the flesh. And uh, with 12 more draws on top of those five stalemates, that is 17 draws in a 38-game Premier League season. 
which of course is a record, a joint record, it must be said, with the likes of Sunderland and I think Southampton in a 38-game Premier League season to draw too shy of half of your games and uh, there is no wonder why Newcastle didn't qualify for the Champions League. And of course, the last game against Liverpool had to be a draw, didn't it? And um, to be fair, it is the poorest sequel to the £20 million match between Liverpool and Chelsea because... Newcastle needed quite a big win against Anf- at uh, Anfield against Liverpool. They think they needed um, three or four goals to uh, qualify for the Champions League. Of course, it ended 1-1. You've got Liverpool slightly deteriorating in form. It's another trophyless season. Obviously, no Champions League to fall back on yet. It's quite possibly Gerard Houllier's worst season, really, statistically. And um, both Owen and Houllier would be out of the door. Here it's 60 points enough for that fourth position, whilst Hulia and Liverpool celebrated 64 points the previous season and didn't even get into the Champions League. Essentially, Liverpool's season hinged on a crucial last four games. A win at Old Trafford took them fourth, four games from the end, and they essentially remained undefeated to hold Newcastle at bay, although Newcastle were too busy drawing too many of those games to uh, to capitalise, essentially. So Manchester United, they were in third and their season looked to be a good one, at least for the first half of the season. They only dropped points in four matches before extra, before Xmas, Christmas as it's better known. And then unfortunately Rio Ferdinand's ban for missing a drugs test hit and the games immediately following, that was the aforementioned nil-nil draw at, uh, at home to Newcastle and then a shocking defeat at Molyneux to Wolves where... West Wes Brown, Rio Ferdinand standing, slipped and Wolves went on to score via Kenny Miller, if I'm remembering that one correctly. And after Rio Ferdinand's ban in the 18 matches played after he was suspended, United won just seven of those games, fell 15 points off the, play, off the pace, didn't even finish second. And whilst they did finish third in the 2001-2 season, they were the main title rivals for Arsenal. Here, the main title rivals weren't Man United. It was... Chelsea, of course, and they broke the bank, didn't they? Roman Abramovich was the new owner, and for now, at least, Claudio Ranieri was still in charge. They've been taken over after their £20 million match win over Liverpool. Obviously, famously got to the semi-finals, beating Arsenal, ending their treble hopes, as did Man United in the FA Cup semi-final. But Monaco beat them to the final, Arsenal beat them to the league, and that is despite the signings of the likes of Glenn Johnson, Damien Duff, Wayne Bridge, Jeremy, Claude Makalele, Juan Seba Veron, Mayetta Kesman, etc, 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 Joe Cole, it's just far too, the list is far too long for this podcast, but it was a transfer spending spree the like of which nobody had ever seen before. Manchester United had previously spent upwards of £50 before in a single summer, but that was, you could argue, was off the back of their own revenue, however this was... 200 plus and it was completely fully bankrolled by the owner obviously Chelsea were they were hardly a rich club they were in a sticky financial situation and just purely being uh, pushed along by the management of Ranieri the goals of Hasselbank and Goodjonson but of course as we all know now this was the end the beginning of the end of that and potentially this was Chelsea's most successful season without winning a trophy they finished second here Champions League semi-final as well they only lost one game before before Christmas, and it was a, a bit of a bitter December period which made them lose ground. In one of their only first half of the season defeats, for example, to Charlton at the Valley, they just simply bought their best player, Scott Parker anyway, and 
Thankfully, that trend didn't continue because Chelsea would have about 100 players on their books if that was to uh, continue with every defeat. And speaking of defeats, two defeats to Arsenal in the league and only essentially two wins from the final six. Paid for Chelsea's title bid and 11 points behind. But regardless, Arsenal were just simply insurmountable. They had succeeded David Seaman with Jens Lehmann. They'd added names for the future in Cesc Fabregas, Jose Antonio Reyes, Gail Clichy, Robin Van Persie. Plans for the future firmly were in place. But despite what was obviously an undefeated start, because this is 2003-4 Arsenal, uh, despite 13 points from an available 15, it wouldn't infer really the run that they were about to go on. It were tricky wins against Aston Villa, Everton and Man City, a draw at home to Portsmouth, as we mentioned, Portsmouth the only team to stop Arsenal uh, beating them and the other team were Manchester United. The real test was Game 6 at Old Trafford. They looked to be falling to defeat, Ruud van Nistelrooy had a penalty in the last minute and he hit the bar, a bit of a battle ensued, half the players got suspended for a long time. And then Arsenal won their next three games very crucially against Newcastle, Liverpool and Chelsea. So got 10 points out of a pretty horrid run. And imagine the belief that comes with essentially wiping out four of your ta- all four of your title rivals in one swoop. We'd seen it with United the previous season that December, beating Liverpool, Newcastle and Arsenal all in one go, then beating Chelsea in the same month. Newcastle, um, Arsenal here had done exactly the same. And by the time the uh, the winning run, Arsenal was set on claiming the title. Thierry Henry was, by Easter of 2004, unstoppable. His performance against Liverpool was mesmeric. His goal against Manchester United in a 1-1 draw was magnificent, plus four more in a 5-0 hammering of Leeds on a Friday night. He was not only the form player in the Premier League, he was form player on the planet at this stage. It completely beggars believe how he never won the Ballon d'Or, never won the Ballon d'Or for this year, you know, especially in a year where Adriano, yes, he romped to the Copa America success for Brazil, but very little else, so he, you couldn't really have given it him. Greece won the Euros as well, and... France football weren't about to give the Ballon d'Or to a Greek player or a, even a Portuguese player from the final. So that leaves it down to a Barcelona player, a Milan player or an Arsenal player who wins the league or a Porto player from 2004's winning Champions League team, which likewise with Greece and that Brazil Copa America team just wasn't going to happen. So you essentially have it down to three teams a handful of players and Thierry Henry wasn't that player and it's still a a travesty in my opinion as well um, but for Arsenal well the title was one in the best surroundings possible wasn't it 2-2 draw regardless it didn't matter it was at White Hart Lane and the fabled undefeated season played out with wins at home to Fulham and despite a Paul Dickoff goal that had Leicester leading on the final game of the season at uh, half time Arsenal came back to win that one, 2-1. And had this been Arsenal maybe 10 years in the future, they would have almost certainly lost that game, despite trying to win the league undefeated. They would have lost that final game. But it just remains one of the biggest achievements ever in English football history. They were about to break Nottingham Forest's undefeated record. They had done what Preston had done and gone the season undefeated, but... 
the bigger achievement with that is that Preston went 22 games in that one season undefeated. Arsenal had gone 38, so it's hardly the uh, the same achievement. Obviously, then you also extrapolate the quality of men's football in the 1880s to the 2000s and the achievement is magnified yet more. Um, I'm of the opinion that it's, I don't think it's the best Premier League era achievement by an English team. If you look at even perhaps Jose Mourinho's Chelsea of the coming year or two of Pep Guardiola's domestic treble, potentially Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp as well, and maybe of um, the treble winning Manchester United season from 1999, because Whilst Arsenal did go undefeated, they were beaten in the League Cup semi-final by Middlesbrough. They were beaten comprehensively a couple of times in the Champions League on the way to a quarter-final exit to Chelsea. And of course, they were beaten in the FA Cup semi-final by Manchester United. Whilst it is an incredible thing to have done, go the season undefeated, it wasn't matched by anything else. Throwing an FA Cup like Arsenal had done in the previous league wins under Wenger in 98 and 2002... And I'm fully on board with this being one of the greatest achievements in football ever, never mind English football. But it was just a league win at the end of the day. A league win with 75 points, which is the low of Premier League in 1997 with Man United, is still the same as a Premier League win of 2018 with 100 points for Man City. Obviously, there are certain ways to do it, certain ways, I guess, not to do it, but they all result in the same thing at the end of the day, which is why I hold that opinion. So that concludes our celebration, our five-part celebration on the return of the Premier League with five Premier League season reviews. We'll be back next week as ever on Wednesday on the Sports Social Podcast Network with something a little different, but rest assured we'll be reviewing seasons of the Premier League, of the Champions League, all throughout the 2022-23 season, of course, with that month-long break for the World Cup wedged somewhere in between thank you very much for listening and until next time see Podcast Network.